Pray with me. Lord Jesus, as you gave up all for us, became a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross for us, mold us into your people, your servants, that would spare no cost or anything so that others might know you. So teach us your gospel, change us by your gospel, and have us live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. We are into week three, I know it says two in the bullets, and it's actually three of our series, fall series on I Am a Church Member. Hopefully you've had a chance to grab a book, there's a few left out there, and get a chance to read. Very short chapters, six of them taking us through mid to late October, and we're talking about what it means to be a part of the church, be a member, that word we use, we spend a lot about talking what it means to be a member, that is, of the body of Christ, like your hands and fingers are members of your body and all work for one good. That's how the Bible talks about the church all around the world. As Romans 12 says, for as in one body has many members and they do not have all the same function, do different things, we are like that in the church, the body of Christ. So to be a member of that is to, we are stuck on the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, by the gospel, to work for the good of the whole church. So we talked about that in the first week. I will be a functioning member of the body. Last week, week two, we talked about I will be a unifying member. And we talked about how our unity in Jesus Christ is far more important than anything else that would divide us. So all the things that divide us up by our age, our education, or our views, or whatever, if we share a trust in Jesus as our risen Lord and Savior, that rises to the top more important than anything else, and that should unify us. So now today we get into chapter 3, and I'm going to set this down now, but... Get a chance, grab a copy if you haven't, and start reading along with us, and join us in Bible study so we can dig in a little more. But today in chapter 3, maybe the most challenging chapter I would say, is if that's too small for you to read, it says, I will not let my church be about my preferences and my desires. In other words, I will not let my church be about me. The church is about a person, and guess who that is? Yes, not you, not me, Jesus. Now, this is a challenge, isn't it? I will not let my church be about my preferences and my desires. And so this may be the most challenging or most difficult chapter for you to engage with, the, with this book. But you see, it's actually okay to have desires in life. The Psalms even say things like, pray the desires of your heart. And that is, as we grow in faith and become more like Jesus, God will give us godly desires. But yet, there's at some point for all of us where we're just tempted to want everything just to go the way we want it to. And yet, we're told in so many ways that you can have everything just the way you want it. Don't buy something unless it's absolutely what you want. Have it your way. We're, we're told that message over and over and over again. But yet, when we come into the church... Our focus isn't on what we want. Our focus is on Jesus and what He has done for us and what He has called us to do. And so when our focus is on Jesus and the gospel and the Great Commission, suddenly our concern for little things start to melt away. But yet we're told this every, every single day. And it's even the slogan of a company just came out and said it this way, right? Have it your way. No matter what, except have it your way meaning buy our food, right? 
And yet, even though Burger King just comes out and says, has it your way, we, we are tempted to act this way in the church too because we're told it all the time, right? We're tempted to turn that into have it your way in the church. Well, the author of this book, his name is Tom Rayner, is a researcher by trade. And one of the things his team researched was what he called inwardly focused churches and tried to find out what are the qualities of that. So churches that are primarily concerned with what's happening inside of their four walls, not outside of their four walls. So churches that are largely self-serving, self-focused, focused on self-preservation and serving their own members. What, what are these churches like? What are some qualities? And he found 10 dominant behaviors of what he would call inwardly focused churches. So if you read through the chapter, you saw those 10. Here's the first some of them. First one he said, and I'll briefly go through them. One of those qualities is worship wars. I want music this way. Organs too loud, organs too soft, music is too stiff, too loose, too whatever. Churches are arguing about worship. So inwardly focused, not thinking about the gospel and the Great Commission. Second thing, a trait he found of inwardly focused churches, prolonged minutia meetings. Are you lost in the details and not focused on the gospel? Third was a over-facility focus. So facility here is a tool, a great tool that we use for ministry, but we don't worship it. Things aren't always perfect, and we can change things, and that's okay. Fourth, he found was program-driven, meaning once, uh, keeping things running the way they are. Once we have, have something good, we, we must put all our energy into keeping this thing going, whatever it is. Five, they found was inwardly focused budget. So spending too much of our money on our own comfort, not enough thinking and talking about what it means to take the gospel to our community. Quickly, the other five are inordinate demands, that's number six, for pastoral care. So if you have a critical emergency, or you're in the hospital, me or an elder or a retired pastor, we do our best to come and visit and pray with you. And I think as a church we do pretty well. But if you ask me to come be with your pet iguana at the vet who has a hangnail, I might not make it. I'm sorry. And I certainly won't pray for your cat. No, just kidding. My kids might actually convince us to have a cat if it weren't for the fact that our dog would eat the cat. So, number seven, attitudes of entitlement. If somebody, if people have the attitude of, Pastor, I've been here since Moses was the pastor, so I deserve to have this thing go my way, whatever it is. Attitudes of entitlement. Uh, number eight, greater concern about change than the gospel. Yes, change unsettles us no matter what, but what kind is it? Is it a are we changing something so that we can tell other people about Jesus, or are we just you know, upset about that something changed? Nine, anger and hostility. I don't think that needs any explanation. And ten, evangelistic apathy. They also found that very few, in inwardly focused churches, very few people share their faith on a regular basis. Very few people are actively engaged in going and making disciples. So there's all of them. might be a little small to see. On one slide, and again, you can read more in the chapter, and we're going to talk a lot about this more in Bible study today. But it's very tempting for us, for all of us, to look out for only what we want. I want worship this way. I want the building this way. I want nothing to change. I want this to change. I just want it this way. And yet, being a functioning member of the body of Christ says, 
says, if I'm a hand or, or a finger, I, I won't do just what I want, but what's best for the whole body. Now, we need to pause there just for a moment to make an important point, and that is this. Here in this chapter and today, this sermon, we're talking about preferences. We're talking about uh, smaller things, not serious offenses. We're talking about getting our way. We're not talking about overlooking major issues. So if there are serious offenses that happen here at this church or other churches, especially here, or abuse that happens in this church, by all means, speak up. We are with you. We care for you. We want to protect you. We are not talking about overlooking and staying silent on serious things. So if I'm not preaching the gospel or I'm twisting God's word and leading you astray, by all means, speak up. Your job and the elder's job are to hold me accountable. And if any abuse, God forbid, ever happens, speak up. This chapter, however, is talking about, I would say, not the serious stuff, but the lower, everyday, run-of-the-mill, selfish desire that we all have just to get our way. Have it your way, I want it my way, or, or I don't like change, so no. Or That's what this chapter is addressing. So that's a bit of the, the what of part three of I will be a church member. I am a church member. I, I will not let my church be about my preferences, my desires. That's the what. Now let's step back and get into the why. Why would we do this as church members? What, what on earth would cause us to to put other people first? What on earth would cause us to not look out for our own selfish desires and put somebody else first? Well, quite simply, it's because we are members of the body of Christ Jesus. So, as He was, we want to be like, right? So, here's the epistle reading we looked at. Philippians 2. Paul just comes out and says it. Do not look to your own interests. But look to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who was God, but didn't consider his equality something to be used for his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the nature of a servant, made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. It seems so simple, so profound, and maybe these verses are so familiar to you. But when we look at Jesus, what do we see? Do we see a king who showed up and expected his feet to be rubbed and servants to feed him grapes and fan him with giant palm leaves? No. When Jesus, when God himself shows up in real time on real earth, he gave, he served. In everything, Jesus put you first. In everything, Jesus served you. Jesus died for you. Jesus wanted to know the Father's will and to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was to forgive and rescue you at his own expense, at his own life. But if there was anyone ever in the history of the entire world who had any right to get his way and be treated all the time like royalty, it's Jesus. Yet he, of all people, humbles himself, becomes a servant, washes his disciples' feet, and then says, you're going to do this when you follow me and touches lepers, and prays to know the Father's will, and then works to do the Father's will, even to the point of his own death. In Mark 10, even talks about, Jesus talks with James and John, when they're, they're the ones saying, hey, we want to sit at your right, we want to sit at your left, we want this, and Jesus says no. He just comes out and says it, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life. 
What that means is when the Holy Spirit grips your heart and gives you faith to trust Jesus, you will start to become like Jesus. And when you become like Jesus, you're a member of His body, a functioning, unifying member of His body. You will start to work for the good of the whole body, the whole church. And you'll start to serve others, and you'll be less concerned with getting your way about the small things. So I have a few questions I want to leave you with. And these are questions I think we should be asking as a church. First of all, when I get annoyed about something or not getting my way, or annoyed about something changing, or just when we're attempting to make a change, these are good questions to ask. And the first question is this, what best serves the gospel? Before we do anything, that should be a good question, right? Well, what best serves the gospel? And then second, what is best for the church, for the whole? What is best for Zion Lutheran Church, not, not just what I want? What best serves the gospel? And two, what is best for the church? I think these two questions are, are a good litmus test for being disciples and for making disciples. They, they help us decide whether it's just something that I want or if it actually is really a good thing for the whole church. And that could be both. That's fine. But the more the Holy Spirit changes you, you begin to want what God wants, and that's a good thing. And so, uh, I've tried to ask these questions among uh, our staff, among Scott and Stephen, uh, as, as we've talked about different things. Hey, what, you know, what, not just what do we want, uh, hopefully it's, it's good when what you want matches up with what's best for the church and what best serves the gospel, but, but hey, we, if you're talking about a, an event, a rehearsal, or working on something, you know, try to ask each other, hey, what, okay, what works best for you, and then what, what's best for the church, and, and what actually serves the gospel the most? Sometimes they're the same, and that's really good. Sometimes they're not. When the Holy Spirit grows your faith in Jesus, you become a servant. And we become a serving, unifying, functioning member of the body of Christ. We become less concerned about getting our own way because we are more concerned about more people knowing that Jesus died and rose for them. So I want to invite you now to speak our, the third pledge. There's a pledge at the end of every chapter, and we're going to speak those in worship. You can read it. Say it with me. I am a church member. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that just aren't my preference or style. I am a church member. May the peace of Christ, which goes beyond our understandings, guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.